Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me there. If you don't have your Bible with you, I invite you to grab one off the hymnal shelf in front of you. Use your phone, whatever you need to do to have a copy of the scriptures in front of you. I'm going to be reading Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. And out of reverence for God's word, would you stand now as we listen together for the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Good Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who pursues us that you are a God who never grows weary, that you are a God who continues to beckon to the depths of our souls. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray now in these moments that you would be at work, that you would teach us and guide us, rebuke us and correct us, that we might know you, that we might sense you, that we might align ourselves to you. Come, Holy Spirit, and meet us in these moments, we pray. We want your will and your way more than our own. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1850s, uh, there was a French uh, acrobat, daredevil, tightrope walker, maybe a 
earlier version of Evil Knievel, or David Copperfield, if you will, uh, who gained international fame traveling around the world doing uh, feats of heroism, of uh, all kind of brave and crazy things that he would do. And one of the reasons that Charles Blondin became famous uh, was that about once a year he would come to America, and while he was in America, he would do incredible feats that would attract huge crowds of people to come and see what it was that he would do. Uh, far prior to the days of TikTok and YouTube, there weren't any other things to do. And so people would come and watch as uh, he would set up these feats. And one of the things that he did in the places that he went was Niagara Falls. Uh, and every year that he came, he would stretch a tightrope across Niagara Gorge, uh, about 1,100 feet from one side to the other, about 160 feet above the water. Uh, and then he would walk across the tightrope back and forth doing all kind of different things, wowing people with his bravery and courage. Uh, the first year he came, he started kind of slow and comfortable. You can imagine how this would ramp up year after year. First, he just walked forward, and then he walked backwards. Then he put a blindfold on and walked forward and backwards, and people were amazed. Well, the next year, seeking to do something more when he showed up, he had to beat what he had done the year before, and so he actually put on stilts, and he walked across the tightrope on stilts and walked back on stilts. Uh, they said that he, I don't know how you would do this, that he walked out to the middle of the tightrope, and that he had a chair, and that he sat down in a chair, and he made and ate an omelet all uh, on this tightrope over the waters of Niagara Falls below him. It was the third year that he came that he did his most impressive feat, the one that gets him the most notoriety. Uh, because this year, as he was doing all the different things, trying to up himself from the year before, he took a wheelbarrow. Uh, and he began to push the wheelbarrow back and forth along the tightrope. And he would go from one side to the other pushing the wheelbarrow. And he would walk and then he would run and he would change his pace. And he would go forward and he would go backward. And after he'd done all of the things that he could do with the wheelbarrow, he made his way to the edge of the gorge where masses of people were there. And they were all cheering and all excited for what it was uh, that they had seen him do. Uh, and as the crowd died down among him, he asked a question as he held the wheelbarrow. He said, how many of you believe that I could trundle this wheelbarrow across the tightrope with a man inside of it? Immediately, the crowd erupted. Yes, we believe. And, you know, they were chanting and raising their fists and all that kind of thing. And as the noise died down, Blondin followed it up with this question. Who will volunteer to get in? <laughs> Amazingly, no hands shot up. It is one thing to say you believe something. It is quite another to alter your life to live out that belief. It is one thing to say that you believe something, but it is quite another to alter your life to live out that belief. This Christmas story that we examine once again in the season of Advent allows us the chance to embrace this thought to think about what does it mean to say we believe something and what's the difference in actually embracing our lives around acting that out. Particularly as we look at the person of Mary, uh, we can find that in Mary, she gives us an example of understanding this maybe more clearly than anyone else that we can find in all of Scripture. 
If you were tracking along and reading the book of Luke and you knew nothing of the story of Jesus, uh, just reading Luke as a literary device, you would be amazed. Uh, Because even though you might have heard of Jesus, you would be stunned when the book of Luke doesn't actually begin with the person of Jesus. The book of Luke doesn't first tell us about Jesus being born to Mary. It starts with this incredible story of Mary's distant relative, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah. They're an older couple. He's a priest. They have been righteous and lived their life. And yet they have been unable to have children for their whole lives. And the miracle that begins the book of Luke is seeing God intervene in their lives. Seeing God come to them and give them a child, the long desired for, the much prayed for child. Uh, And for the people of that day, not knowing what was coming in the birth of Jesus, this would have been the most astounding, miraculous, God intervening thing that they could imagine. That there would have been this faithful couple who had worked their way to the top. There would have been this faithful couple who had lived a righteous life. There would have been this story of all the people who had done all the right things. And finally, God shows up to give them this thing that for so long they had yearned for. It's almost as if Luke understood what he was doing. That he wanted to bait his readers into thinking that this was the best that God could do. Because it's no sooner than he finishes telling the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah that he shifts the scene completely to introduce us to Mary. And if what we thought was astounding in the miracle of Elizabeth and Zechariah, what he unpacks in the birth of Jesus far surpasses all of that. Mary was a no one. I mean, Mary was a no one that it's hard for us to even understand what that means. Uh, We talked about last week how it's so easy for us to sanitize the Christmas story that we're used to seeing the nativity scenes and the Christmas cards. And so we have this neat and tidy picture that's certainly not messy of what it looks like for the Christmas story to happen. And Mary's one of these characters that she's just sweet and angelic. Uh, But when we think about Mary, I mean, Mary was the most common, uh, dismissible, forgettable person that you could think of. I mean, she was a young lady. She probably went to Nazareth Middle School. I mean, she was, uh, you know, just the the kid that if you polled all the other kids in the school, none of them would have really known who she was. They they wouldn't have remembered. I mean, she lived in the back of the trailer court uh, somewhere off County Road 47. She wasn't on Instagram. She didn't have lots of followers. She didn't do TikTok. I mean, nobody knew who she was. Uh, And she was this girl that, that never anyone would have thought that if God wanted to interrupt the world, that if God wanted to send his son, that if God wanted to convey the most powerful and biggest message that he had ever conveyed, that she would be the person who would convey it. I mean, their world worked a lot like our world. That if we were beginning to think about who it is that would convey the most powerful message, the most important message, they would have begun to think of whose resume is best, whose credentials are best, who've worked their way up the status line the most, who paid the most money to get to the front of the line. I mean, they would have worked through these ideas of saying the person where, where notoriety should happen, the person who should be taken notice of uh, is the person whose credentials are the best. And what we see as this story unfolds is that God chooses someone who is the complete opposite of what what the world says. Mary, when the angel shows up for the first time, Mary's response is she's so taken aback that essentially what Luke 1 says is that she says, beg your pardon, Uh, I believe you may have the wrong number. Uh, She's so concerned about what it is that she's done, she doesn't understand why he's showing up, and the angel recognizes the fear that she has and tries to calm her fear by saying that she is the one who has found favor, to say that she is the kind of person that God is looking for, to say this is the Holy Spirit who will do this work. Uh, Mary even ask the question, how? 
And, and it wasn't how because she didn't believe that God could do it. It was how because in that day and age, a, a, a young lady did not get married until they were physiologically able to have a baby. And so she was thinking that her upcoming marriage to Joseph was the first time that she would conceivably unintended, uh, be able to have a child. And so she was thinking there is no way for this to happen. And ultimately where the story ends is the angel says nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. And you will be the one who brings God's son. Now, if the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that begin Luke's gospel is miraculous, maybe we can possibly grasp in our minds that it could happen. Uh, the story of Jesus being given to Mary, uh, the story of this one who was a nobody being picked to deliver God's son, it's just downright ridiculous. I mean, when we think about the, the world that they live in, when we think about what it would have happened, I mean, can you even begin to imagine Mary's response? I mean, it was the most astounding, biggest, miraculous thing they had ever seen. What's the most interesting about this story is that there's actually two miracles in it. There's two miracles in the Christmas story. Uh, and this is good news because both of them are good. But there's one that we tend to focus on more than the other one. Uh, the first miracle that we see uh, in the story of Jesus' birth is that God chooses Mary. Uh, it's that God makes himself, to use the language of First United Methodist Church right now, fully present to Mary. That God comes and finds someone like Mary and says, it's to you that I will bring this good news. Uh, this demonstration of God coming and finding Mary is a demonstration of God's character. It's something that you and I can go to the bank with. It's something that you and I can rest in. It's the story of Christmas that we love to focus on. Is that God looks and he isn't looking for the people who have worked their way up the ladder of success. That we don't have to earn God's favor, that we don't have to do enough to get God to do something in our life, that God actually goes a step further, and that he loves to work in the places where people would least expect it, that, that God loves to work in the places of people who aren't trying to curry his favor, that the people who think they've owned God's favor are the very places that God seems to say, I'm going to humble you, and I'm going to exalt other people. This is incredibly good news for you and me. This is incredibly good news, because no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, no matter where you've been, no matter how long it's been since you've been to church, no matter how much you've thought about God, is that God looks at you and he says, I choose you. Uh, that there's not some sense that you're not polished enough or clean enough or your resume's not good enough to say that you are somehow outside of the bounds of the people that God wants to work with. That the good news, the miracle of Christmas, is that God chooses Mary and in turn, he chooses us. That, that he would look at us, people who we would say, we're not ever the ones that God would pick. And God says, yes, I, yes, I would. Because that's exactly who I am. And I choose people just like you to do miraculous things in and through, to write my story, and to move the kingdom of God forward. As miraculous as that first miracle is, though, uh, it's not the most incredible miracle. The, the most incredible miracle is the second miracle. Uh, and that's this, that Mary chooses God. The first miracle is that God chose Mary, that, that God was fully present, that God made himself known, that God came and delivered this good news. But far more astounding is that Mary chose God too. Mary made herself fully present 
to him. I mean, it's really miraculous because when you think about what the culture around Mary would have been like, when you think about the, the pressure that she would have gotten, when you think about uh, the story that she would have begun to say, uh, that, that she says, no, this child is God's, that he's delivering the kingdom and the savior of the world through me. I mean, they didn't have this then, but that's kind of like certifiable, diagnosable, nutcase kind of things. And yet there's something that happens in Mary. Uh, that in this moment of encountering the Lord, in this moment of receiving what happens, that she chooses to alter her life, to line up her actions and her behaviors and her thoughts around what it is that God is calling her to do. Now, the text doesn't kind of show us this in word-by-word way, but we know that it happens in there. Because somewhere in the midst of this messenger coming and talking, to Mary, somewhere in the midst of this, her hearing what it is that God wants to do, she stops and she asks herself this question. She says, what if this is true? What if this is true? She, she doesn't immediately go, there's no way that can happen. She doesn't immediately go, my parents are going to be so mad. She doesn't immediately say, forget that. I'm going to, you know, go get back online and keep doing what I was doing. But somewhere she pauses long enough to go, what if this is true? And she's able to say, what would the impact be? in my life? What would the impact be for my family? What might even be the impact for the world? And because she created that pause, just to entertain the reality, everything changed. Mary begins to alter her life, to build her existence, no matter what the pressure of the world around her might continue to give, no matter what the neighbors might have whispered behind her back, no matter how many times people would have told her to do something else, something in her went, no, I'm committed. I believe this is what God is doing, and I will alter my life to live in it. Maybe in another way we could say, Mary got in the wheelbarrow. Mary was not just willing to say that she believed in what God was doing. She was willing to get in the wheelbarrow to change who she was and what she did to back that belief up. She was willing to alter what it was she was doing and her priorities and her time and where she invested her effort. To say, I'm going to live into what it is that God calls us to do. It would have been so easy for her not to do that. I mean, the way of the world would have been just say you believe and like go to Target and buy a t-shirt that might even say believe across the front and just wear the t-shirt and say, I believe, but then continue to go on doing what you've always been doing. Or maybe she would have said, well, you know, I believe, and she would have gotten some crosses and some, well, I guess she wouldn't have gotten crosses. It would have been a little too soon for that. She would have gotten some nice Old Testament Bible verses that she could have put on her wall to say, these are, you know, some of my favorite verses, and she would have decorated her house in a way. Uh, But then she would have continued to take matters into her own hands and worry and, you know, be about planning her wedding and all this with Joseph and not altering her life at all. Uh, It could have been that she said she believed, uh, but then she could have just like said, you know, I believe, but I'm not going to show up. I'm going to run away and hide. But yet that's not what we see Mary doing. We do the same thing in our own lives. It is so easy for us to say we believe, uh, to, to vocalize that, to cheer when someone says, do you believe? But then our lives don't line up with what it is we say we believe. We know that God calls us to not be anxious, that his burden is light. We, we believe that, Uh, But then we still worry. I mean, if you've seen me interact with my kids recently, you know I don't live that out. If you've seen the tension and the busyness of this world around us, then, you know, we can say we believe it, but are we altering our lives around it? 
We know that, that God calls us to care for and love everyone, whether they look like us, think like us, vote like us, have the money we have, whatever. Uh, and we say we believe that. But if you take quick stock of the people you're around, they all look like you, vote like you, think like you, and are in the same socioeconomic group as you. We say that we believe and we say that idolatry is bad and that God is our most important priority and we don't want anything to take precedent over him. And yet we evaluate our calendars and our relationships and our checkbooks and all the things of our lives and we're not sure that we alter our lives around that perhaps the way we could. What are what it would look like for you not just to believe the first miracle of Christmas, but to actually believe the second too. To not just receive the good news that God is fully present with you, which he is, but to live into the second miracle that you can be fully present to him, that you can get in the wheelbarrow, that you can alter your life, even when it's challenging and difficult, and it'll take help to do it, that you can begin to live your life aligned to what it is that you say you believe. I think what we'll see is that God wants to write a story in you and through you, maybe that won't be like Mary's, but that will be greater than anything you could ever do on your own. That God wants to take you to a place that's greater than what you could imagine. That God wants to grow you inside and out and your world around you to live in the fullness of the life that you can only find in Him. And that's why this fully present season is so important. Because in the same way that you can say you believe, but then not back that up, there's a difference in being present and in being fully present. Because this really isn't just about attendance. I mean, I guess attendance is better than non-attendance, but this is really about engagement and prioritization. This is about coming to worship, prepared to actively participate and expectant that we will encounter the divine in our lives, that we will meet with the living and loving God who longs to touch you and speak into your life. This is about prioritizing and engaging and studying the word and being in a group in a place to say that I'm expecting that God wants to speak into my life, that he wants to write a story greater than what I can do on my own. It's easy to say we'll be present, but the commitment that we're making this Advent is to live the life of Mary. It's to believe the second miracle of Christmas. It's to say that we'll be fully present to God. Someone stopped me after the 8.30 service and said, do you know how the story of Charles Blondin ends? I said, I do. Uh, and he said, you should tell it. And so I will. <laughs> a volunteer did finally raise their hand to go across the tightrope with him. Interestingly enough, it was his assistant. His assistant volunteered, wasn't forced to go, and he ended up going across on his back. But he piggyback rode across the 1,100 feet over Niagara Falls with Blondin. But when they asked the assistant why he did it, his answer reflects what God wants to do in you. He said, I knew him well enough 
that I can trust him. And he said, so I was glad to get on his back. Mary demonstrates the two miracles of Christmas. God is fully present to us, and we can be fully present to him. Lord, let it be unto me according to your word. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, you are good to us, and you love us. The fact that you would give your very best and come and be present to us is a miracle worth celebrating. Lord, lead us in this Advent season to not just receive your full presence with us, but to live in response with being fully present to you. Help us, Lord, as we seek to follow you with all we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.